it's exhausting. Trying to find something that motivates me to keep going is exhausting. And having to do that every day, you just get tired of it. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. We certainly do not talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors so that more people in more places can hopefully feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. Huge thanks to everybody who's joined me here and talked on the podcast, as well as everybody who listens. Really appreciate you. Check the show notes for all kinds of other interesting things and ways you can participate and get involved, including our membership. We could use that kind of support. Or if that's not your thing, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That's another way to help more people find the podcast. And we want that. Of course, we want that. Now, keep in mind, we're talking about suicide on this podcast, and we realize it may not be a good fit for everybody, so take that into account before you listen or as you listen, but I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Anna. Anna lives in Nevada, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Anna. What's going on? Nothing much. How are you? I'm good. You're smiling a lot for someone who wants to talk about suicide, I'll tell you that. Defense mechanism, I guess. I should smile more. That's another thing, though. We're not talking about me. Are you in a room that looks rather bland? Yes, I am actually on campus in a study room because there's too many people at home. Are you comfortable sharing what campus you're on? Uh, yeah, I go to Nevada State College. Where is Nevada State? Is that is that not in Vegas? Probably is it? Pretty much. It's in Henderson, which is okay. city right next to Vegas. Do you like living in that part of the country? It's okay. I don't particularly care for the weather. Brown desert. Yeah. But like the room you're in. Pretty much, yeah. I could see how that might affect one's mood. I mean, at least there's mountains, right? It could be just... Yeah. So Anna in Nevada, which has got a nice little ring to it. How did you find this podcast? Do you recall? It was a Google search, but what I was looking for is last year, I read a book called The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. It's like the story of a of a person who attempts suicide, ends up in a library between life and death. And in this library, they can choose any book on the shelves. And they are all basically like alternate realities based on like, had they made a different choice in their life, this is the life they would be leading. And I, I found it really good. It's one of my favorites now. And I was looking for something else, some other content like that, right? Uh, basically, in the story, the person comes to terms with the life that they are living and they don't die from their attempt. And now they are going into their life like reassured that this is the life that they want to be living. And now they're just going to live it without regret. Why do you like the book, do you think? 
I don't know what it is about the book. I think, and this goes back to like one of the questions that you asked is like, do you regret it? And it got me thinking like, do I, do I regret my situation? I call it with one of my friends, the incident. I don't regret it. In the book, there's this book of regrets, right? In this midnight library. And it holds all of the things that this main character regrets not having done in her life. Anything from like, oh, having this this for breakfast instead of this or not staying at this band. So everything. I think it really just like resonated with me to kind of embrace the choices that I make and fully commit to them, which is kind of funny because the way things happened, I am still here today. We're going to get to all that. Yeah, we're going to get to it. Now, connect that to me with finding this podcast and then listening and being like, you know, some people I'm sure listen to it and they're like, this guy's an idiot or what are they talking about? And they never listen again. I'm sure that happens all the time, but that doesn't sound like it was you. Yeah. So I was uh, thinking about the book, looking for other things, other like literature, other content talking about suicide. Yeah. Right. Of course you have, you know, 13 reasons why both the book and the, the series, but I hadn't really come across other literature, other content, whether it be podcasts or anything like that, talking about suicide. Mm -hmm. So I went to Google mm -hmm. and I looked up like suicide books, suicide podcasts. And of course I get, you know, the 988 hotline. Oh um, shit. No matter what you do, that 988 hotline is going to pop up. No matter what, even if you're just a researcher in a lab. Yeah. But it's interesting. I found the podcast on this one thing. And then I looked up the podcast on its own, right? I looked up Suicide Noted. And right. the hotline doesn't come up when you look up Suicide I bet might that might be the way podcasts work. I don't know. Yeah. Right? Like Google and YouTube and, and others, uh, right, typically that will come up. The main idea here is when you find the podcast, you obviously listen. And then it compels you to reach out. And I'm always curious about that. Because people listening to this might be wondering, like, dude, who gives a shit? Just start talking about the attempt. But it's part of it. Because the nature of all of this, people are very secretive about it. There's so much shame around it that I think the idea of I'm very curious to learn and it's part of the narrative of the conversation of looking for it, finding it, listening, keep listening, reaching out, showing up, even though I was late to our meeting, you showed up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's part of it because we don't fucking talk about this stuff. I can care if it's my podcast. You can too. It's interesting, right? I started listening to the podcast and then I started to talk to people in my life about this podcast. Then I started talking to people who were part of the incident. Incident. One one person, yeah, the incident. I just incident. we call it the the incident. You know what, you know what Anna? If you're gonna <laughs> write a book, I have a pretty good idea of a possible title. <laughs> the incident. The incident. <laughs> the incident. There there were quite a few people involved mm -hmm. on this day. This was back in 2020. So it's now been three years. One person recently um, asked me if we could talk about that day. So then we talked about that day and I don't remember everything. People got involved at different times. So in talking to this person, I was like, I wonder if anyone else that was involved wants to talk about it. So then I started talking to the other people that were involved and in talking to them and in listening to the podcast. So I came to terms with what happened a long time ago, but I wasn't sure if I considered it an attempt until talking to everyone and kind of just piecing everything together for myself. And in listening to the podcast, of course, all of that helped me come to terms with, yes, this was an attempt now that it makes sense for me. I don't know, maybe, maybe it will be relatable. 
Probably. And how old are you? 23 on Star Wars Day, which I have never seen a Star Wars movie in my life. I don't know and what Star Wars Day means. Star Wars Day, may the fourth be with you. Don't do that. Yeah, I've never seen a Star Wars movie. I may don't the fourth care be with you. It. Please, can we may not? We're not doing that here on the podcast. So May the 4th makes you what? An Aries? I don't know that shit. What is that? A Taurus. What are what do we need to know about Tauruses and does it affect this conversation in your attempt? Heck if I know. I right. like don't, I don't pay attention to those things. We don't do we don't do Star Wars, we don't do astrology or astronomy. Astrology. Jeez. Astrology. God. That I'm going to cut. It's embarrassing. 23. Mazel tov. Happy birthday almost. May the 4th be with you. Where are your yes. family from back in the day? Um my family and me actually. Uh, from Mexico. What part? From Jalisco, Mexico. Jalisco, okay. Jalisco, Mexico. Spent some time in Mexico and not in a touristy area, so I'm proud of that. But was not in Jalisco. I was in Guanajuato and uh, uh, Michoacan. Good times. I enjoyed it. Let's get back to you. This incident, you've really set this up beautifully <laughs> because talk about stakes and tension, the incident. Okay. The incident. Do we start this part of the conversation getting right into the incident or, because you'll have an opportunity to talk about all of it, or do we go <laughs> back to when you were a child? For it to make sense. And I was thinking about this. It's got to be chronological. Appreciate that choice. And let's roll with it. I'm born in Mexico, moved here at the age of five. But when I lived in Mexico, I was primarily raised by my grandmother. My mom was still in my life. Honestly, I have maybe like 20 memories of my childhood because I don't remember anything. But then I moved here when I was five and started living with my mom and my stepdad. My grandma would come visit. She would spend like six months here, six months in Mexico. And so whenever she was here, I was very, very attached to my grandma. She was visiting one time in 2012. She got very sick, was in the hospital for, for quite a while. That's kind of when I started losing interest in things that I typically enjoyed. I was a folklorico dancer, like a Mexican folk dancer with a big colorful dresses. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I did that for, for a while since like 2008 until like 2014. But during the time that my grandma was here and hospitalized, I have a very big family. My aunts would alternate so that my grandma was never alone in the hospital. And at the beginning of my grandma's hospitalization, I had an aunt that was visiting from Mexico. So it was six of my grandma's daughters here alternating. Uh, and then the one that was here from Mexico left. So then I would go with my mom. And this was the for the evening shift. So I stopped going to dance practice, stopped doing all of that. In 2012 was the last time that my grandma visited. 2014, she passed away. I was born here. I was born in Mexico. I'm not a U.S. citizen. In 2012, President Obama announced DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which gives uh, or immigrants brought here as children a work permit to allow them to work legally in the, in the country. When it is first announced, you have to be 15 to apply. When my grandma passes away, I'm 14. So close, you know, like a year away from from turning 15 and being able to apply for DACA. But I remember my mom asking me if I wanted to leave and go go back to Mexico. And I did, but we didn't. We stayed. Why'd you want to leave? Why'd you want to leave? Thank I was you. really, really close to my grandma. I wanted to be there for the whole funeral process. Got it. Right. So you don't leave. I'm 14. This is July of 2014. In October 2014, my biological father has gone on like a three-day drinking rampage, essentially. Then he starts feeling unwell, having headaches. So he takes medication that, of course, like mixes together. He ends up in a vegetative state. 
He is in a vegetative state for three years. In October of 2017, he passes away. In between that, I am not old enough to get DACA. Okay. But they can't make it simple for you. Of course not. I needed to have a passport from a Mexican passport to apply for DACA. And I can go to, you know, the Mexican consulate here and get one. But I was underage, so I needed both of my parents here. I, I didn't have that. So we went and we asked, what did we need? Oh, just get a doctor's note. We get a doctor's note, bring that in. Oh, no, you need a notary public to go yeah. certify the condition that your father is in and then bring a uh, bring copy in. OK, we get that. Come back with the copy. No, we no, need no. the original. Get the original. I, I remember they were trying to like tell us that we needed something else. And I was like, no, just give me the stupid passport. Like I, I'm I'm like done. And my mom was too. Uh, so finally get the passport. I can apply for DACA. Yeah, this is in, in between, you know, my my grandma passing away, my father going into vegetative state and then get my DACA. And then in 2017, he passes away. I would say that I like I mentioned, I started being disinterested in things that I enjoyed it back in like 2012. And it just only gets worse, right? Like I'm still participating in these things, but I'm not really engaged. 2019, towards the end of 2019, I am in a very dark place, having a lot of suicidal thoughts. Mm. And at the time I was seeing a, uh, a therapist on campus. I disclose this, right? I, I have a plan. Like I am have I have a plan. Here we go, Anna. Here, <laughs> Here we go. But um she didn't like immediately act on this. And it wasn't until her supervisor was like, you know this information. Why haven't you done this thing? So I end up getting here in Nevada, it's called the Legal 2000 and L2K. And I end up getting put on a 72-hour hold which mm. turns into like six days. Where are you? I actually showed up to campus for my appointment. And then she's like, so this is what's going to happen. And then I get to hang out with a campus police officer while we wait for the ambulance. to show. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like you were betrayed? No, I don't think so. I mean, they're like mandated reporters. So yeah. let me reframe let me let me rephrase that question. It's not a loaded question. So they're mandated reporters, so I get that they have there's a great risk of them not doing that. But zooming out even more, you're betrayed by let's call it the larger I hate the word system, but that's probably the best word I can think of where you're talking about a thing in confidence with the person who's there to help you in a variety of ways, your therapist, your counselor. I mean, at the time, when you say you have a plan, I mean, were you going to, were you actively trying to end your life? I had a date. I had the method. Do you think that if they didn't step in, you'd be, you would have died? I think so. Yeah. And there was a later intervention in that time frame too. And you're here now and we'll get to how you feel about your life now. Connecting dots. It was kind of a blessing that they sent you there because if not, you would have died probably. We don't know for sure. And then you went there and I don't know if that, you'll tell me what that experience was like, but you're here talking to me. You're not dead. I'm not. Good at this, you see. So what? let's go back. What was the hospital like for those six days? So first 72 hours, I spend them in pretty much the closest hospital to the school and in their mental hold area because they don't have like an actual unit, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's literally like... Four little cutouts. You get three walls and a curtain that you can't yeah. close. The first time I was hospitalized, 
I ended up when I first got there in a room that didn't have a TV and just cameras, right? Like camera in, in the corner. Oh shit! You had ca- so the cameras, no TV. Well, There's a you- camera in the corner, the bed, and that's that. That's it, right? How do you entertain yourself? How did you entertain yourself? You twiddle your thumbs. All right, I, my words, not yours. It's jail. Pretty much, yeah. Late, like it took them hours when they, you know, finally cleared one bed, sent someone off to somewhere else. Yeah, that I get moved into this other cutout, and now I have a TV. So I, okay, okay, okay. You know, hey, you gotta buy the, you gotta pass the time in these fucking shitholes. Yeah, well, I, this all happens when I'm still like living at home. So let's be clear when, here: your family is from Mexico. Now, here's a couple things I know about Mexico: Catholic. Typically, yeah. Catholics have certain beliefs that would affect how they view someone who's thinking about suicide. Just oh, I think I forgot some like crucial information here. When I was still in high school, end of junior year, I am in a similarly very dark place. And I talked to uh, a friend. My friend is obviously concerned. We're yeah. still friends to this day. Okay. Um, and so they went to the social workers on campus. So that turned into a whole thing. And of course, I'm still a minor at this time. So then parents get involved and it's a whole uh, a whole thing. I don't know if you have this over in North Carolina, but um, I get mobile crisis called on me. End up seeing having to see this therapist that comes to my house every so often, yeah, yeah, but yeah. only for a certain you know, window. And then I'm referred to this other therapist. If you are not in a place where you are willing to receive this help, you're you're not going to be cooperative. So I remember having the hardest time in these therapy appointments with this second therapist, not the mobile crisis therapist. Mm -hmm. It was really good. Like the last time that I saw her, I walked into the office and I was just silent. She's like, are you not going to talk today? And I just shook my head and she's like, well, I'm not going to waste my time and I'm not going to waste your time. You are the most complicated person I have ever worked with. So you can go. Hang on. Do you think you're complicated? I feel like maybe I'm a complex person to understand. My friends tell me that like they come to expect a certain thing from me and then I throw them a curveball. I am very unpredictable. Unpredictable. I have been told. Sure. What I find interesting is how the baseline thing for people, complicated is a negative word the way they use it. Simple or easy to read is a positive. I literally think we've taken humanity out of humans because we're complicated. Life is weird. Life is hard. Navigating the earth and the world and people is terribly challenging. That should be, I think that's the baseline, but that's just me talking about my own frustrations. And guess what? It is not about me. This therapist tells me, I am yeah. the most complicated person uh, yeah. that she's ever worked with. I leave. Um, and of course, I'm still a minor. So my mom's there. She's not expecting me to come right out. So I come right out and she started kind of going off about like, oh, do I think that I'm the only person that has problems? Like, Needless to say, this establishes that like the environment at home wasn't very like supportive, was not abusive, but just not supportive to my own well-being. How do you define abusive? Not outwardly abusive, like both physically or like emotional verbal abuse. It wasn't that. It was just not supportive or just like random comments. In 2019, when I uh, end up going to the hospital, I'm still living at home. I talked to the case manager on campus who is uh, Hispanic. 
And I'm like, if I am not out of here by this time, can you please call my mom and tell her that the vehicle is there? Why wouldn't you be able to drive the car? Because I was taken to the hospital in an ambulance. This is the first time this happened. This is the 2019, November 2019. I, I... don't have my car. I, it's left on campus and I'm expected to be home at the end of the day. So I call the case manager and I'm like, so this is this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, if by this time or like I'm not out of the hospital, because at this point they hadn't said, you know, the 72 hour hold, they hadn't said anything. And so I call them. Can you call my mom? Sure. OK, cool. That's settled. So I spend the 72 hours in this one hospital, get transferred to a state hospital. You kind of lose a lot of autonomy when you get into these places, right? Mm. You're having to ask for everything, like the bathroom to be opened. If you want to take a shower, you have to ask for the items to take a shower, the shampoo, the soap, like everything. Uh, if you want to do laundry, you have to ask. They had this little like, it was like a nine by nine little square area where there was a bench and, you know, you could see the sky. But um, other than that, like everything you had to ask for. Everything was locked and they would not let me leave if I was going to go back home because home was not a conducive environment. I'm like, well, crap. So I end up moving in once I am discharged with the person that used to be my boss at the library where I worked. They are still my roommates. Like since that moment, I feel like my family has been a little more supportive. Attitudes change or maybe they just feel like they're walking on eggshells. I don't know. Now, fast forward, March 2020, the Mm -hmm. incident. Hang on, hang on. Okay. So that was the background. What you now consider after reflection and conversation, recent recent conversation, a suicide attempt. Yes. One question before we get to the incident. There was a period of time, I don't remember the year, of when you were planning something and then your therapist said that was the year before. That was just months before. You had said that you had a plan and you had a method. And I want to know what method you were going to use. Overdose. The incident, March 2020, the world is locking down. So right before the whole world shuts down, I shut down. March 3rd, I wake up, it's just a normal day. Don't have this thought in mind that I'm going to do this. At the time, I am on like five different prescriptions. I get all of my medications at the same time from the same pharmacy, same number of pills for each one. For some reason, four of these medications that I'm taking the last one that morning, there's this other one. There are seven pills left and it makes no sense in my brain. I I can't wrap my head around how there are seven of these and I'm finishing these. I have a weird fascination with the number seven. Mm. So I really think that if it had been like eight or six, I don't think the next things would have happened. I realized that I'm doing a lot of things with my hands. So I'm a deaf studies major. I've been learning American Sign Language for a few years now. So I just randomly start signing. So anyway, that's the number seven. Why are there seven? You need to take all seven. There's no other option. My logical brain, of course, is telling me like, don't do it because these could be the consequences because I'm I'm leaving, right? I'm going to go drive uh, to, to campus. In my head, I'm like, whatever happens, happens. And that's kind of where the hesitation to call it an attempt came from, right? Like yeah. I took these deliberately because yep. my brain was telling me that I had to. Okay. But I didn't take them necessarily with the intention of ending my life. Mm-hmm. I know that when you're in the throes of this, arguably your mind isn't working perhaps as sharply as you might want. But at that time in your life, did you want to be alive or not or somewhere in between? 
I didn't care. Oh, this is a great thing to contemplate, right? Is that an attempt? And I don't want to get too bogged down with words because they're just words, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is that an attempt? Yeah. You're saying it is for you. You get to decide for yourself. For, yeah, for me, for me, I, after, you know, reflection three years later, because like I, like I said, I, I had accepted that this happened. I came to terms yeah. with it, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to call it an attempt. You know, now it's three years later. And after a lot of reflection, I feel like it is right. Because I am doing something that could potentially endanger my life. Mm-hmm. Right. That has the possibility of endangering my life Yeah, uh, without a particular care that I am doing this. The medication started having effect like so quickly. It was rather interesting to me because the Starbucks is maybe like three minutes down the road from me. Mm-hmm. I pull up to the drive through order get to the window I have a Starbucks app so I'm trying to hold my phone but I can't hold my phone still my hands are shaking I remember the barista telling me do you mind if I if I just grab your phone and I couldn't respond I just handed them my phone somehow like I drive to campus I just remember kind of just like closing and opening my eyes like a lot and just trying to stay like conscious while I'm driving because I don't want to hurt anybody else. I don't care what happens to me, but I don't want to hurt anybody else. When I took these pills at home, I texted one of my coworkers, one of my friends. I was like, so I just did this thing, LOL. And then I leave. I get to campus. I'm in my car. I never get out of my car. I don't go into the office. I'm I'm in my car the entire time. Obviously, I'm expected to be at work at a certain time. So the coworker that I texted and another another coworker, they come to my car outside and I'm like non-responsive. They're knocking on my window. I'm not responding. I have no idea how much time happens between, you know, all of this and when the ambulance shows up. I remember the paramedics trying to keep me, you know, awake. You know, they do the whole like knuckle thing on your sternum to keep you alert and opening your eyes. So I remember that. And then I remember feeling that for a long time afterwards, just random pressure on my chest from knuckles. I remember the paramedics asking me, why did you take the medication? And like my first thought was, I just had to finish them. Like that that was my response. I had to finish them. It's never going to land. They're not going (laughs) to. And then later, now I am in the hospital. And I remember being very annoyed that I was there because I remember thinking to myself, this is this is not what I wanted out of this. I don't want to be here in this hospital. It's the same hospital that I went to the first time. So I remember changing my answer for like the nurses. Oh, I just felt really shitty. So more medication equals less shitty, right? Wow. Makes sense. Yeah. But when I get to the hospital, they make me take charcoal. But apparently what I have learned now, it was like, the entire thing, like the ambulance weren't called until like almost three hours after. I really wish you could just like pull up Amazon and like price match at the hospital, right? Because these little vials of charcoal, $300 in the hospital on yep. Amazon, when I looked them up, they were like $23 for yep. the same amount. For my medical interpreting class for my final project, I had to uh, interpret a video of a partial colectomy. Anyway. At the end of the video, they talk about how, like, there are all of these people here to, to support you, right? Your, your mm-hmm. surgeon, your nurses, yada, yada, yada. This will be like an open discussion. We are all part of the same team, including the patient, their family. And we want you to be part of the discussion and the decision-making process over your treatment plan. But we don't particularly follow that in mental health. 
we've decided, I think, and I'm sure we're not the only country or culture to do this, but our language, however that evolves, decided there's physical health and there's mental health. They are, to me, they're like this Venn diagram that overlaps a lot. This isn't original ideas here. Of course, a lot of people would agree with what I just said. So my question is, why do you think we do that? They do that. It is done. I think just because it's easier for for them to treat them as like separate entities, because then they don't have to address the overlap, how your mental health can affect your physical health or vice versa. Do you think there's a sense also of like, if you had known how to handle your life, you'd have figured it out. We're going to take over from here. You're obviously not well. You don't know what you want. I feel like a little bit, right? Yeah. And it goes back to the whole autonomy thing, the whole agency over yourself, your decisions. Or And there might also be an element of you're just going to try to sort of manipulate the situation. We can't trust you. What's really a shame, though, I feel like some doctors or nurses or whomever start out really good and really kind and really loving. To exist within the system, you've got to be part of the system a little bit. You said that the incident involved a lot of people or some people, and and some of those people you talked to recently. Yes. Now, the way you just shared that, I don't hear a lot of people that you would have access to talk to again. Who are we talking about? So the co-workers, the, the case manager on campus, another co-worker, my supervisor, my roommate. Yeah, that's what happened. And I ended up spending like a total of one week. It was from the 3rd to the 10th. Um, in the hospital. Begs the question. You found that book and then you started looking at other stuff online, books and other resources, stumbled upon this podcast and wanted to reach out. So there's still the, the ideation, right? I feel like you don't necessarily get rid of that or it doesn't necessarily go away. I don't remember if there was something in particular that like sent me down this route of like looking things up. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I've been in a you know, you have your your baseline. And I've been pretty consistently under that baseline for, for a while. On another on a cocktail of meds now? No, I stopped taking medication. Uh so I do a lot of things out of spite, right? When I was in high school, my high school counselor told me that I, I it was impossible for me to graduate with the advanced honors diploma. So I said bet. I graduated with the advanced honors. Wait, diploma. whoa, whoa, whoa. Bet? Um, <laughs> That's Gen Z big time. What's lit? Lit is like awesome. Oh, that's really cool. That's awesome. Fire is another one, another synonym. I told my psychiatrist that I wanted to get that. I decided that I was going to get off medication. Mm. He tells me, I don't think that's a good idea. In six months, I bet you're back in the hospital. So I stopped taking my medication, made it past the six months. I was like, bet. And now, you know, it's been more than six months since I stopped taking medication. How often do you ideate? A lot. I feel like the thought, at least just thought, like pops up once a day, minimum. When was the last time you had a concrete plan to end your life? Currently. What is it? Overdose, but this time, you know, make sure it works. And, you're, and you have a date? Not a set date, no. What does that mean? I have to wait until at least this time. What time? I have to wait until at least January. Why? For life insurance purposes. I have a life insurance policy. That doesn't cover it for the first two years from when you get the policy. If you die by suicide. Uh-huh. You got a life insurance policy. Yeah. Is that a common thing for a 23-year-old? No. I have a plan for if I end up living a really long life or if I don't. I have this life insurance policy for if I don't 
And then I have like a Roth IRA for if I do. Complicated, right? <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Why do I have to frame it? Obviously, I'm asking questions. Let me ask you this question. This is a tough one, really tough one. Why do you not want to be alive? It's exhausting. Trying to find something that motivates me to keep going is exhausting. Yeah. And having to do that every day, you just get tired of it. Fair. How many people know that we're talking? Three. All supportive? I presumably you wouldn't tell people that weren't supportive. Yeah. There seems to be a good number of people that know about that incident. Yeah. Like in terms of like all of the details, I, my family does not know all of the details. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe when this airs, I'll just post it on my Instagram stories and then they can listen if they want. That is so Gen Z. (laughs) Can you be Um, more Gen Z? I'm going to post it not just on Instagram, but Instagram stories specifically. What are some hashtags you might use for that post or that story? Well, if it's a story, I won't put a hashtag on it. Oh, geez, I'm so old. I don't know this shit, Anna. <laughs> God, of course you wouldn't put a hashtag on a story. I don't know. What are you talking about? TikTok, TikTok, what's up? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm like, if I post it on my story, it'll just be like PW, you know, trigger warning, suicide. Right. Yeah, but quite a few people know. Uh, obviously, yeah. all of the people that were um, involved, you of my coworkers in the library, few of my coworkers, my former coworkers here at school. Right. Uh, my family has like a general idea. They don't know all of the details. And I, I like talk about it pretty openly. I don't use it as an icebreaker, but I do talk <laughs> about it pretty, pretty openly. Oh, yeah. Would love if you ever want to role play how to talk about this as an icebreaker, please let me know. I'd be down to try that just to play. <laughs> well, I think one of like the first episodes uh, of the podcast, there was a person that said that they use it as an icebreaker. Yeah. I think Thomas um, in Denmark. Do you think about that day in March of 2020 and ever think, damn, I wish I had died? I feel like yes and no. Of course, with you, Anna, it's complicated. (laughs) It's complicated. Yes, because, you know, then it'd just be simpler. I wouldn't have to be going through the day day to day. And no, because since then I've lived through X, Y, Z. I am grateful for those experiences. This is also a, a bizarre question, admittedly. Do you think that no matter what had happened in your life, no matter who your parents were, no matter all the things that happened to your family, high school, everything, you were bound to end up trying to end your life? Were you born fated for that moment, that incident? I feel like it doesn't really matter who you are. That can always be a part of your story. Like, And I know this has been like mentioned before in uh, some of the episodes, but there are celebrities that quote unquote have everything. Quote unquote, sure. Quote unquote, yeah. This still ends up being the route that they go. So I think that anyone is vulnerable to it. I don't think that depression, anxiety, mental health discriminates. I don't know that that answers your question. I like it either way. First of all, let me just see suicide in American Sign Language, please. So it's the combination of the sign, kill yourself, kill myself. We got to go on because nobody's going to see this anyway. No, nobody's going to see this. How many people in your life, and this includes professionals, do you have to talk to? And I don't mean talk. I mean talk, talk. That's quite a few. Quite a few. I still talk to the case manager on campus. We are really close. She's invited to my graduation party. I'm really close with my former coworkers here on campus. I'm really close with my roommate, um, who was my former boss, my current boss. I have I have a lot of people that I that that I talk to. Wow. Are you Catholic? Uh, I grew up Catholic. I would lead rosaries like since I was like three years old. Now, no, I don't identify with any particular religion. So if you would 
ended your life, do you think you'd be anywhere? I feel like when when you die, you just like die. It depends on what you do. Are you like cremated? Are you buried? Are you do you turn into a tree? Oh, I would love to turn into a tree. Yeah, I think that's the route that I would go for. I make me a seed and plant me in. What kind of tree? I, I don't particularly care. I won't be here anyway. Right. And also, I mean, look outside. You don't have a lot of trees to look at, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are trees and I don't know what kind of trees they are, but we have palm trees, pine trees. Maybe it'd be a little bit easier if you just come back as a casino. <laughs> Two last questions I have, Anna, in Nevada. One, what do you do, if anything, that helps you feel a little better? Currently, I have a cousin who has a baby. Mm. And I go spend time with this baby. This baby brings a lot of joy into my life. You still working at the library? I still work at the library. And in August, I will start my master's in library and information studies with an emphasis on social justice and inclusivity. Very nice. Okay, so what, if any, myths would you like to dispel? I mean, you hear a lot of the whole suicide is selfish. The people that attempt suicide are cowards. That talking about suicide will make a person like think about it i feel like nobody has that much power over another person what about like a 12 year old i feel like there's there's a difference when you were younger you're very susceptible to outside influence once you start getting older and really start developing your own opinions personality your own character who you are as a human being it's really hard to have so much influence on you it's why like you can't change the opinions of someone who is so set in their ways I don't think talking about suicide makes people think about it, think about killing themselves. I think that the thought is already there. And if anything, talking about it might be a way that they find some relief. I didn't start talking to, you know, the people that were um, involved in my March 2020 attempt until one person asked me if we could talk about it. Then that made me think about are these other people, what they want to talk about it. So when I approached them, uh, I said, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to answer it. Mm-hmm. But would you be willing to tell me your side of events from this day? Nobody said no. I remember when I was telling uh, one of my coworkers at the library that I started listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. They were like, that is very depressing. I was Depressing like, and dark. Like, yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah, I was like, sure, it it can be, but I feel like we need to get more comfortable having these conversations, right? Because it is an uncomfortable topic to talk about. If we don't have these conversations, we don't get rid of the stigma. We don't learn anything. I completely agree. I think the whole dark, depressing thing is so foreign to me. So foreign to me. The dark, depressing stuff is people struggling and having nowhere to talk about it. That's depressing. Uh, what else would you like to add, Anna, before we go back to our uh, lives? I don't know. Maybe going back to the the book, maybe mm. this will in, intrigue you more to read it. This chapter is called A Thing I Have Learned, written by a nobody who has been everybody. It is easy to mourn the lives we aren't living. Easy to wish we'd developed other talents, steady us to different offers. Easy to wish we'd worked harder, loved better, handled our finances more astutely been more popular, stayed in the band, gone to Australia, said yes to the coffee, or done more bloody yoga. (laughs) It takes no effort to miss the friends we didn't make, and the work we didn't do, and the people we didn't marry, and the children we didn't have. It is not difficult to see yourself through the lens of other people, and to wish you were all the different kaleidoscope versions of you they wanted you to be. It is easy to regret 
and keep regretting ad infinitum until our time runs out. But it is not the lives we regret not living that are the real problem. It is the regret itself. It's the regret that makes us shrivel and wither and feel like our own and other people's worst enemy. We can't tell if any of those other versions would have been better or worse. Those lives are happening. It is true, but you are happening as well. And that is the happening we have to focus on. Of course, we can't visit every place or meet every person or do every job. Yet most of what we feel in any life is still available. We don't have to play every game to know what winning feels like. We don't have to hear every piece of music in the world to understand music. We don't have to have tried every variety of grapes from every vineyard to know the pleasure of wine. Love and laughter and fear and pain are universal currencies. We just have to close our eyes and savor the taste of the drink in front of us and listen to the song as it plays. Mm -hmm. We are as completely and utterly alive as we are in any other life and have access to the same emotional spectrum. We only need to be one person. We only need to feel one existence. We don't have to do everything in order to be everything because we are already infinite. While we are alive, we always contain a future of multifarious possibility. So let's be kind to the people in our own existence. Let's occasionally look up from the spot in which we are because wherever we happen to be standing, the sky above goes on forever. Yesterday, I knew I had no future and that it was impossible for me to accept my life as it is now. And yet today, the same messy life seems full of hope, potential. The impossible, I suppose, happens by a living. Will my life be miraculously free from pain, despair, grief, heartbreak, hardship, loneliness, depression? No. But do I want to live? Yes. Yes. A thousand times yes. Words uh, of Matt Haig, not me. Not, not Anna, Matt Haig. I wonder how people, hey, people who are listening, let me know what you feel about that little excerpt that Anna just read. I'm curious. And I want to circle back to something you had said earlier. I want you to add a little more, if you would, about autonomy and your connection of autonomy and suicide. In the hospital, I didn't have the autonomy that I craved, nor did I feel very human. I thought about having to ask for everything, you know, just the ink refills because the pen is too, too risky. And then being transferred from one hospital to another and the excitement that I felt over getting to use a spork and not a piece of cardboard. After my first hospitalization, I remember standing at doors and waiting for them to be open. When I first moved into my uh, roommate's house, I remember uh, we were leaving that first day and I just walked up to the garage door and I just kind of stood there. And then my roommate was like, are you going to open it? Right. Because... I could do that now. For a really long time, cameras triggered me. Security mirrors triggered me. You know, the ones up in the ceiling. I have never had such a deep appreciation for forks since my hospitalizations. So mm. all of these decisions were happening about me without me. During my second hospitalization specifically, no one was communicating with me about my situation, whether I would be discharged or not. I was told I had to go to mental health court. So again, what happened to me was not in my control. I'm waiting to go to court because that's the last thing anyone has told me in 24 hours. I decide to call my roommate and my roommate tells me that she'll be picking me up at so-and-so time. The doctors had apparently called her and they all had agreed that me being in the hospital wasn't going to help me. But did I hear this from the techs, the nurses, the doctors? No, mm -hmm. I had to hear it from 
my roommate. I can't begin to explain the frustration I felt not being in the know and not getting to be a part of my medical decisions. All these experiences ensure that should I try again, I will do everything I can to make sure it's a completed suicide so that I never have to go back there. If we want less people to kill themselves or attempt to do so, there are several things we need to do. This podcast addresses one of those by opening up a dialogue. Mm. We need to be having these conversations, not only to minimize the stigma, but to, as you say, make people feel less alone. I can only speak to the mental health system that I have experienced. Although from what I hear, it's pretty crappy everywhere. It needs to change. And the only way I think we can do that is to get the professionals to see the person first. I am not depressed. I am not anxious. I am a person who has depression. I am a person who has anxiety. I am a person before I am anything else. Some people I know for me is partially about having control over something in my life, specifically with like with being a DACA recipient. That has been under fire for a while. And if I lose my DACA, I lose my ability to work legally in this country, continue doing what I love working in a library. And so it's about having some sort of control, some sort of autonomy over what's going on in your life. Why is it so hard for you to be a citizen at this point? I don't get it. A lot of people say do it the right way. Well, my stepdad did it the right way. He filled out his application. He's been in the process since 1999 and he's still not at the front of the line. Do it the right way. Wait 20 plus years. So it's really complicated. And then it also depends on what country you're coming from. I'm coming from Mexico. That process is longer than, say, someone who's coming from Cuba. So because you have DACA, you you can work. You're not a resident. I'm not a resident. How would residency change your life? I could leave the country and come back. With DACA, if I want to do that, I have to file for advanced parole. That's like a $600 process. DACA itself is like $500 every time that you have to renew it. And you're having to renew it every like year and a half because they suggest that you renew it 150 to 120 days before it expires. Sometimes people, because, you know, this is super important, are paying like even more to have a professional fill out the paperwork. The reason that they don't come up with a solution is because like it just benefits the government financially, right? They are making so much money on all of the renewals. So it's just going to be continue to be used as a bargaining chip. I'm planning my life as far as like my next expiration date. And that's that's another area where like my frustrations are fueled and just this exhaustion. If you had no family here, would you be like, fuck it, I'm going to Mexico. I'll stay there. Yes and no. I feel like so much of my life, again, me being complicated, so much of my life has been here. I've been here since I was five and my entire career goals are based on things that I note here. But at the same time, the state of the country, right, is super concerning. I feel like we're just going back backwards. I assume if it's that hard to get residency, it's equally hard or harder to get citizenship. So you have to have residency for a certain amount of time before you can even apply to be a citizen. And then you have to take the test. What happens if you met somebody, an American, a United States of American, because I know there's a lot of Americas, and um, married them? It's an easier process. If I met an American citizen and got married, uh, I could possibly have my residency in like a year, my adjustment of status. Yeah, I know like my family is like, hey, you know. Hey, Anna, let's get this shit going. Yeah, you know, it's more complicated than than that. First, I don't want it to be transactional. And also second, I don't like people. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) So one, you don't want to, of course, you don't want to be transactional, but (laughs) I don't like people. (laughs) 
I find socializing very exhausting. The friends that I have now, a majority of them, like my friend group, are from high school, co-workers. I don't have friends outside of those groups. All right. So what's your day like? And then we leave. Um, I have an ASL workshop that I am going to. And then I have some shopping to get done for my graduation party. And then uh, we are surprising my little cousin with a painting party for her birthday. It's a great day. We shall see how it goes. I mean, I don't want to get all like, I mean, that's a pretty good day. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Sean, I do want to fight you on the pronunciation of, of Nevada. Oh, shit. Nevada. Nevada. Oh, ba- ah. Uh-huh. But there's no option to say it another way? No, everybody here cringes when we hear Nevada. <laughs> Why do so many people say it incorrectly, do you think? Because nobody corrects them. That's true. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Sean. Here God, goes the outro. The outro is slowly coming in. And before I say goodbye, we'll say this. Enjoy that birthday party or painting party later. It sounds awesome. Birthday party, painting party a week from now. We're having a graduation party. Woo-hoo, it's time to party in Nevada. All right, Anna. Take care. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Anna in Nevada. I hope I'm saying that right. Thanks, Anna. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. Help us out if you would on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review Suicide Noted. It helps more people find it and you can learn more about the podcast and a bunch of other cool stuff in the show notes, including our membership. Thank you very much. However you are involved, we really appreciate it. And that is all for episode number 167. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.